Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are into the final week before the big dance. We are inching ever so close to the magical tournament in March, and BetOnline has you covered with all the latest odds, totals, and props for basketball season. Head over to the website or use your mobile devices to sign up today and get your 50% welcome bonus using our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Believe in Houston Texans podcast. This is technically the first episode, so thank you for stopping into another episode. Uh, This is Kyle Ledbetter coming at you. I am the host of this fine podcast. Our first episode of the new rebooted Believe in Houston Texans podcast coming at you here on a wonderful Tuesday. May not be a Tuesday when you're listening to this. It could be a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday, and that's what it could be morning, evening, afternoon, or night, as we mentioned a little bit earlier. So however and whenever you may be listening, we appreciate you stopping in here today. So we've got a fun show planned for you today. Coming up, I'm going to talk about the number three pick in the NFL draft. It belongs to the Houston Texans. Will it continue to belong to the Houston Texans? Should it continue to belong to the Houston Texans? We will talk about that and more. But first, let's just kick it off with our first ever episode of the Believe in Houston Texans podcast by just talking about my vision for the podcast, my relationship to the Houston Texans, all of this stuff. First and foremost, I do not get paid to cover the Houston Texans. In fact, I don't really get paid at all, but I do have an encyclopedic knowledge of NFL football. It's a really weird thing to choose to be encyclopedic about, but I have an encyclopedic knowledge of NFL football. I am not a Houston Texans fan, as you may have heard me mention in the intro, trailer, whatever podcast. I have not rooted for the Houston Texans one day of my life. And I actually have said many occasions on our podcast, Take It Easy, which is also available on the Believe Podcast Network, that I think the Houston Texans currently are the worst-run organization in all of American professional sports. The Houston Texans are currently run by a team pastor. A team pastor who looks like a youth pastor, but is a team pastor. And the owner of the team is the son of the owner who talked about inmates running the asylum and also are good friends with Mitch McConnell. Those are the few things I know about the Houston Texans and the fact that people really, really want them to sell the team 
down in Houston. I also know that the Houston Texans had abysmal attendance numbers over the last two seasons, specifically last year, and for good reason. The Houston Texans should have had abysmal numbers because the Houston Texans have been a tire fire of a franchise over the past two seasons. Every year on Take It Easy, on January 12th, we celebrate the fact that on January 12th, the Houston Texans were up 24 points against the Kansas City Chiefs. And they were going to play a home game against the Titans of Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry for the right to go to Super Bowl 54. And they probably would have won Super Bowl 54 against the San Francisco 49ers that year. Maybe they don't, but the point still stands. They had a team good enough to make the Super Bowl. And within six months, all gone. All of it gone. And not only is it all gone, in the last two years since, they have gone 8 and 25. All they have to show for it is Davis Mills and Rex Burkhead. That is all they have to show for it. They've gone through four different coaches in the time period since they were up 24-0 on the Kansas City Chiefs. They have gone through multiple general managers and multiple, multiple quarterbacks, one of which is currently embroiled in what I like to call this generation's most fascinating, intriguing sports story because it is a cross-section of a superstar face of the NFL faced with unparalleled accusations against him. It's incredibly fascinating. Someone should write a documentary about this story of the Houston Texans. And by the way, we intend to do that at some point here during the off-season period. This podcast will blossom into a six or seven part story of the Houston Texans at some point here. It's the way we're going to navigate through the off-season. It's going to have hopefully interviews and it's going to be like a long-form documentary style podcast. We'll get to that later on after the NFL draft stuff has passed and when I can actually focus and put in a bunch of work to this. Because, you know, for forewarning, I'm also a college student at the same time as this. I, I graduate pretty soon, but I'm still currently a college student and have a life outside of sports that I'm realizing now exists. Because as a, as a child, I was an incredibly, incredibly sheltered sports person. And that's what helped develop this big brain encyclopedic knowledge of football that I then used to talk about how football reflects society and social issues and things like that. So anyways, the Houston Texans, really poorly run franchise. I'm so mesmerized by this team. And by the way, I know they're the worst run organization in all of North American professional sports. But the Houston Texans are a team that I specifically asked to cover. I really find this team fascinating because you're not going to see a situation like this anywhere. You are stripping the team completely bare. No cap space. No star players. An incredible asset available in Deshaun Watson that is currently not an asset because he's in this purgatory of the the NFL space, the legal space, and just the moral and ethical conundrum that even NFL teams have to face around that Deshaun Watson situation. We know he's not going to play for the Houston Texans again, and the Houston Texans have incredible, incredible value in Deshaun Watson, hence why they've kept him on the bench and paid him for the last 12 months. They have paid him to go through the legal troubles of the last 12 months. All of it 
is so unique and so fascinating and talking about this stuff is way more important and way more interesting for me and hopefully for you than just talking about which players the Houston Texans will draft in the fourth round of a meaningless draft because the team is going to be terrible for the next two seasons. But we're going to do a little Venn diagram of this. If there's anything I've learned in 1,200 episodes, or 12, yeah, 1,200 podcast episodes that I've done, I've recorded every day for three years over on Take It Easy. I do podcasts for SB Nation and podcasts for um, this this network and YouTube channels like the Slump Buster YouTube channel, which you can check out with the link in the description to this episode, not to shamelessly plug myself or my friend's stuff, but just saying in the 1,200 episodes of podcasts that I have done, one of the things that I've learned is it's a Venn diagram. It's what I want to talk about and what y'all want to hear. Give the people what they want and give them things that maybe they didn't know they wanted, like talking about the macro-level issues of the Houston Texans organization in relation to their ownership and who is running the team and white power and Deshaun Watson scandal. We're going to talk about all of that stuff because the Houston Texans find themselves at a cross-section of that right now. But we're also going to talk about draft picks and we're going to talk about wins and losses and X's and O's and all kinds of stuff like that because ultimately that is what football is about on its barest level. As sports reflect society and I find all of this stuff fascinating, at its barest level we are going to talk about the actual football of the Houston Texans. Depressing as it may be, the Houston Texans are at the center of every situation and circumstance it feels like in the NFL because they are bare-naked, poor leadership at the heart of NFL dysfunction. Like I said, the worst-run organization in American professional sports. You're going to hear me say it a lot. Sorry if you're a Texans fan. You root for a sad team. But the good thing about you Texans fans is that you know you root for a sad team. You guys aren't like the Chicago Bears who pretend like your team is relevant over the past 35 years. You guys aren't like the Denver Broncos who like to talk shit even though they've been terrible for six years. You guys aren't like New York Giants fans who actively crap or actively boo their team even though and want them to be great even though they are kind of the reason why the Giants are also terrible because if they hadn't pressured Ben McAdoo to bench Eli Manning they might have gotten Josh Allen in the 2018 draft you guys aren't like those franchises you are franchises that are piss poor terrible and you know that you are piss poor terrible the one thing that I find interesting about Houston and this is just for uh the Texans fans in the Houston metro area. This isn't necessarily people who are, you know, coming to us from California or in in Mexico or in Europe or anywhere that uh, you're covering Houston Texans. By the way, I'm in California, by the way, for anyone who's wondering. But specifically for people in the Houston area, y'all will just stop watching. The Houston Astros, when they were going through their teardown, registered a 0.0 rating in the Houston area. The Houston Rockets currently register a 0.7 rating for their home games on local broadcasts in the Houston area. Y'all will just not give a shit. And the NFL's more of a national sport than those other sports, but the thing I respect about you, Houston, you know that life is pretty damn good in Houston. From what I can tell, I've never been to Houston, but life's pretty damn good to be caring this, this meticulously about a Houston Texans franchise that not only ruined being up 24-0 on the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round about to go to the Super Bowl just two years ago, but also helped fund three different NFL franchises' most successful runs of the last 20 years. 
the Miami Dolphins, thanks to the five first-round picks they got for Laramie Tunsil, have had their most successful run of football in the last 20 years. It's not saying very much, but they have had their most successful run of the last 20 years over these past three seasons. And the Arizona Cardinals are having one of their most successful runs by taking their two star players, DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt. And whoever gets Deshaun Watson is going to have a franchise star quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years. And boy, oh boy, have the Houston Texans bungled this because they had all of that. They had the draft picks. They had the star players. They had the franchise quarterback. They had a coach that went to four playoff appearances in six years. And they bungled all of it. And now it's a sad, depressing franchise that is at the crossroads of everything happening on the periphery in the NFL. This is not necessarily to make you feel bad about yourselves. Like, it's just a team. It's not you guys. Houston is a wonderful city. All of you listening to this are wonderful people. You just happen to, in most cases, maybe you're listening to this and you don't root for the Texans, but in many cases, those who root for the Houston Texans look at this and say, our team is terrible. And the only thing I have to say is yes, and they are going to continue to be terrible because they were starting in a worse place than any franchise in the NFL. Not only have they gone two seasons while just absolutely punting on everything, they haven't even had the draft picks to show for it until this year. They finally get the draft pick available for them to be able to use in the first and second rounds because last year they didn't have a first or a second round pick. They went to the Miami Dolphins. So, and ultimately it went to the San Francisco 49ers so they could get Trey Lance. The Texans are just now getting back to zero. Like, it went from dysfunctional NFL franchise, then the Texans. It's like the the scene in Moneyball with Brad Pitt where he's like, there are good teams, there are mediocre teams, there are piss-poor franchises, there are dysfunctional franchises, then there's 50 feet of crap, then there's the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans spent two years being absolutely dog shit terrible. And by the way, in 2020, they were just incredibly unlucky in one possession games. Like, both those losses to the Titans in 2020, just brutal upsets. Like, they should have won both of those games. So the Houston Texans, in fairness, should have won seven games in 2020. But still, piss poor terrible in 2020. Piss poor terrible in 2021, and now they're just as bad as the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're now at the same level as the Jacksonville Jaguars, because not only are they piss poor terrible, dysfunctional, now they actually get draft picks to start building this whole thing back up. It's been an apocalyptic two years for the Houston Texans, and you're still three years away from building the ship back up. Like, it is a long, long road for the Houston Texans to turn this around. This is how franchises remain in purgatory for 20 years. Poorly run organizations refusing to admit their mistakes and then ultimately bearing the consequences of such mistakes and then repeating the mistakes once they have available cap space and available draft picks again. The Houston Texans might be terrible for a decade. Like, just forewarning, the Houston Texans might be a terrible, terrible franchise for a decade straight. We have never seen, like as bad as the Cleveland Browns were the year that they tore everything to the ground, Cleveland at least had the draft pick receipts to show for it. 
The Texans have been terrible for two seasons and have nothing to show for it right now. The rebuild is just starting for the Houston Texans. This was fumigating the organization. They fired three coaches in less than two years. They fired a general manager and then fired the guy who replaced the general manager. They promoted a team pastor to team president who had a big role in trading DeAndre Hopkins for literally nothing. The Houston Texans are a terrible, terrible, terrible franchise. And we are going to cover this team to the holy hell for the next months, six, eight months. This franchise is going to be so fascinating to cover. Maybe we'll bring in a co-host sometime soon. We'll have a history of the Texans at some point here. We're going to talk about draft picks. We're going to talk about players. We're going to talk about free agency. We're going to talk about all of this stuff on this podcast. But it's also not going to be Texans propaganda. Definitely not going to be, here is the glimmering hope in the future for the Houston Texans fans. It's going to suck for a while. If I'm still doing this podcast two or three years from now, then maybe we'll still be talking about the Houston Texans in an actual NFL way. Like, we can actually cover the team the way I cover the Cardinals over on SB Nation. Like, maybe then we can talk about this team, but this team is just now starting the rebuild. This It took two years to fumigate the entire organization because the reason Bill O'Brien can't get a job in the NFL again is because Bill O'Brien, despite having four division titles in six years, oversaw, along with Jack Easterby, one of the greatest collapses of an NFL franchise that we have ever seen. And I think a lot of this has to do with Cal McNair taking over the team and ha- and putting his faith in bad people. Because ultimately it begins with leadership at the top and trickles on down. But Bill O'Brien is definitely responsible in that situation. This is, uh, I mean, Nick Casario gets to reap the benefits of it. But ultimately Nick Casario probably won't get the protection unless he can build a team over the next three years. Jack Easterby is to blame, but he somehow still has a powerful role with the Houston Texans. This team has been an apocalyptic franchise across the last two seasons, hence the fact that they've now hired three different coaches who are African-American in a sport that doesn't hire black coaches under any circumstances to try and clean up the mess that they have. They wanted to hire Josh McCown. They were thinking of hiring Brian Flores to essentially do what Lovey Smith was doing this year. The Houston Texans fumigated the organization, just fumigated the organization, and it took three different coaches to go through it. And by the way, they're still fumigating the organization because they still have nothing to show for it other than Davis Mills, who we'll talk about him a lot, I assume, over this offseason. To me... Looks like a a low-end starter to high-end backup. Maybe they give him more opportunities to succeed, but, you know, nothing special about Davis Mills. And Rex Burkhead, who got a one-year contract extension from having an incredible season last year. And they got a fifth-round pick for Mark Ingram. They used cap space to get a draft pick. It's a good move by the Houston Texans. I will give them that, as much as we've just destroyed that franchise for the last 15 minutes. So the Houston Texans find themselves an incredibly interesting crossroad right now. Um, and these are all things that we're going to talk about there is like how they rebuild a franchise essentially from scratch now, the same way that the Bengals spent the last two years rebuilding from scratch, the way the Cardinals rebuilt from scratch, although they happen to get franchise quarterbacks to make the process easier, the way the Jets have been trying to rebuild for 10 years, the way the Lions have been trying to rebuild with Man Campbell, the way the Giants have been trying to rebuild for the last 10 years. 
the Texans are now mediocre. So congratulations, they've now gotten out of, to a certain extent, the 50 feet of crap that they were in because they traded DeAndre Hopkins for nothing, cut J.J. Watt. We're going to have to trade Deshaun Watson before Deshaun Watson had his legal scandal that is now putting him in the purgatory of moral, ethical, legal, and NFL, well, purgatory. And you're going to see that situation now over the last two years weave itself out and the Texans move on from this era. Now, it took three years to reset to get all your draft picks back, to have some measure of available cap space, and ultimately to set yourself up to where now you actually are starting from zero. It took two years to climb out of everything, but now you're starting from zero. And the Houston Texans are going to spend the next three years going through the rebuilding process with probably multiple coaching hires, because we'll talk about Lovey Smith later on, but Lovey Smith is a shadow coach, the same way that David Culley was a one-and-done shadow coach, the way Romeo Cornell was a shadow coach when Bill O'Brien got fired. The Houston Texans are essentially saying, hire a black guy to clean it up. And the reason they're saying this is because Houston, like whenever there are jobs that are so terrible that no one wants it, you usually go and hire a black guy. It's why that when this is what we were talking about in the Brian Flores lawsuit, which is when NFL teams do hire black head coaches, they are usually for the worst of the worst jobs that have come available over the last 10 years. Byron Leftwich in Tampa Bay, one of the, or, uh, sorry, uh, Raheem, Mower, Raheem Morris, not Byron Leftwich, Raheem Morris in Tampa Bay was one of the worst head coaching jobs available in the NFL when he took it. Steve Wilkes with the Cardinals, Hugh Jackson with the Cleveland Browns. These are jobs, uh, Brian Flores with the Dolphins, and of course, David Culley plus now Lovey Smith with the Houston Texans. Now, is Lovey Smith slightly more qualified than David Gully to be a head coach? Yes, but that's because the Houston Texans job is only slightly worse, or slightly better than it was a year ago. And the slightly better reason is because they have the number three pick in the draft. But the Houston Texans find themselves at the crossroads of that as, you know, poster children for the racial scandal, or, or I'm sorry, the racial, the, the structurally racist hiring practices of the NFL. That's what I meant to say. The poster child for structurally racist hiring practices in the NFL with, again, an owner that is good friends with Mitch McConnell. You have the Houston Texans and you have the the Houston Texans basically saying, we are doing terribly. Let's go hire a black guy as a head coach. Not explicitly saying it, but implicitly when no one else will take your job, you hire the ex-wide receivers coach of the Baltimore Ravens, who is 65 years old. Or you hire Lovey Smith, fired coach at the University of Illinois, and defensive coordinator on the staff of the 65-year-old wide receivers coach from the Houston Texans, who we said when he got hired he was going to be a one-and-done coach. He was a one-and-done coach, but if the Texans had to do it all over again, they wouldn't have made him a one-and-done coach. Now, Lovey Smith will probably also be a one-and-done coach because rare is the circumstance where a team is in such a bad position as a franchise that they have to do multiple one-and-done coaches. And technically speaking, this is the third for the Texans because Bill O'Brien got fired in like week four of 2019. So this is technically the third one-and-done coach for the Houston Texans in three seasons. The Houston Texans are at the crossroads of all of this stuff. And by the way, the Houston Astros did the same thing after their scandal when they went and hired Dusty Baker, when Dusty Baker wasn't really getting called. Dusty Baker will attest, he has said in quotes before, wasn't really getting calls 
for jobs. And the, the Houston Rockets did the same thing with Steven Silas. When everything went to shit and all of the, the bills came due for the James Harden era and Daryl Morey left and James Harden left and Mike D'Antoni left, Steven Silas, first-time head coach, was there to clean it up. And for two years, the Houston Rockets have been a really bad basketball team. And so, as the Bills come due, the Houston Texans went out and hired, uh, uh, you know, hired David Culley, and then now hire Lovey Smith. They're at the crossroads of all of this. But the reason that the Houston Texans are now beginning a rebuild, when the last two years they spent fumigating the organization, is because of that number three pick in the NFL draft. They got all their draft picks back. They, and this is, by the way, this is the exact reason why the NFL only lets you trade draft picks every. Uh, two years you can't trade draft picks beyond two years because the NFL doesn't want teams like the Texans being stuck in purgatory for years upon years upon years so let's talk about the number three pick in the NFL draft and some of it will be about who specifically the Houston Texans will take but it's more so about the concept of the number three pick in the draft in the first place. The Houston Texans ideally plan for this draft pick to be the highest draft pick they possess during their rebuild. This is the beginning of the Houston Texans rebuild, uh, or you could call it year three of a five-year rebuild. You know, rare is there a situation in the NFL where you have to undergo a five-year rebuild, but let's call the last two years for the Houston Texans fumigation of the organization and this year year one of a three-year rebuild because a three-year rebuild model is the most accurate form of model we can use for NFL teams usually NFL teams if they spend three years near the top of the draft will accumulate enough talent in a sport where you know every single year six or seven teams are actively tanking and six or seven teams are really good Eight or nine are above average, and eight or nine are what we classify as mediocre or average. You know, the, there, there have been data sets run on this that say across 45 years of NFL football, there are essentially every year five or six really good teams, eight to ten really, you know, above average teams, eight to ten teams who are kind of, uh, you know, below average, average, mediocre, and six teams that are tanking. Just that that tends to be the trend in the NFL. It's not a given every year. This is just running data across 45 years. And I forget the smart football person who ran this. I want to credit football outsiders, but I don't remember exactly who ran this data set. But it's a very good idea of the NFL. If we operate under that assumption, the Houston Texans were one of the teams that were just not good enough to win. And a big part of it was their own doing. They gave away DeAndre Hopkins for nothing. J.J. Watt left for nothing. Uh, Deshaun Watson was put in purgatory. All of their stars disappeared. They traded all of their draft picks for Laramie Tunsil, which would become the equivalent of five first-round picks. You know, the number three pick, uh, the, the first-round pick in 2020, uh, three first-rounders, out of that number three pick and the third pick in the second round of the draft, which is first round talent at second round prices for the Miami Dolphins. I forgot who they took with that pick, but still, they, they gave away the equivalent of five first round picks for Larrabee Tunsil, one of the worst trades in the NFL uh, the last 25 years. <laughs> last 25 years, one of the worst trades in the NFL was giving up all of their draft picks for Laramie Tunsil and 
being terrible in a year that that pick became the number three pick in the NFL draft. So the Houston Texans made that move. They lost their star players all at once and had no available cap space. And by the way, players that wanted to come just sign for like minimum contracts like Mark Ingram and Rex Burkhead and Tyrod Taylor. By the way, some of those actually worked out. Like Mark Ingram was flipped for a fifth round pick and Rex Burkhead signed a contract extension. Like some of those worked out pretty well. I will give Casario credit there. Like used the little bit of cap space he had available to turn it into draft picks that could then be used later down the road. Or in the case of Rex Burkhead, you know, a player who actually wants to stay there as a foundational piece through all of the losing. And so the Texans rebuild starts right now. I mean, it technically started when they fired David Culley and hired Lovey Smith, but let's say it technically starts right now. The Houston Texans have one big piece that they can use to get pieces for the rebuild, like the Jacksonville Jaguars did with uh, trading Jalen Ramsey. They only got two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey, and by the way, those two first-round picks turned into Clavon Chason and... I believe Travis Etienne, so didn't really work out that well. But what the Jaguars were getting was building a team so bad that they could get the number one pick to draft Trevor Lawrence. The Jaguars traded Jalen Ramsey to put themselves in a position to acquire Trevor Lawrence. The Jets traded Zach Wilson, I'm sorry, traded Jamal Adams to put themselves in a position to draft Zach Wilson, and they thought they were going to get to draft Trevor Lawrence. But they traded their franchise stars and then actively lost to get, I mean, organizationally actively lost. The players didn't try to lose, but got the number one and two picks in the draft. The Texans lost Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson will never play another game for the Houston Texans. The Texans lose Deshaun Watson, and they end up getting the number three pick in the draft. Now, they haven't gotten the draft picks for Deshaun Watson yet, But that's because Deshaun Watson is in legal jail right now. And we'll talk about that more later on. The Deshaun Watson stuff requires a full-scale podcast that we've done on Take It Easy, actually. We did it two weeks ago, if you want to go check out that podcast on the Deshaun Watson lawsuit. Uh, We might just use that audio again at some point here. But let's take all of that and put it to the side. Just operate under the assumption the Texans have those draft picks waiting in the wing eventually. Ideally for the Houston Texans, they will not be this bad again. You couldn't have said the same thing last year. Coming out of 2020, we knew the Texans were tanking. They were actively trying to get the number one pick. This year, the Texans will probably also be actively tanking for the number one pick, but the Texans might have just enough talent to where they're actually trying to organizationally win football games. So by using their available draft picks this year, of which they had none last year, and using some of their available cap space, of which they had very little last year, the Houston Texans will add talent to their team. And by adding talent to their team, they ideally want to be better than the teams who are actively getting worse. I'm not sure who those teams are going into next year. It seems like the New York Giants will be one of those teams actively getting worse. Um, It seems like the Jets will try to get better. The Jaguars are going to kind of be in purgatory, but the point still stands. There are teams who are actively trying to get better and teams that are actively getting worse. And that's all based on where you stand in the middle of your rebuild. And so the Houston Texans 
find themselves in an interesting place because they will probably not be good enough to win next season. But ideally, this will be, with whoever they pick with the number three pick in the draft, the foundational building block for their rebuild. Their rebuild could succeed or fail based on how they hit this draft pick. Because ultimately, the thing that gets you into the top 16 teams in the NFL is having one generational game-changing talent. Most of them happen at the quarterback position. There are about four or five game-changing talents in the NFL that don't come from the quarterback position. That's the thing that separates you from, say, being the Dallas Cowboys, who have Dak Prescott, and the Carolina Panthers, who I ask you, who is the generational talent on the Carolina Panthers? Is there a top 15 player in the NFL on the Carolina Panthers? Top 20? 25? 30? How far do I have to go before you'll stop me? The Carolina Panthers, the last three seasons, with, as we acknowledge, no generational talent, 5-11, and 5-11, and 5-12. The Denver Broncos, similar situation. 5 and 11, 7 and 9, 7 and 10, or I think maybe 8 and 9 last year. Is that 7 and 10 or 8 and 9? Denver Broncos, name me a generational star on the Denver Broncos. Name me a top 15 player in the NFL on the Denver Broncos. You have to have at least one of those guys to make it to the top of the NFL because otherwise you swirl around in purgatory the way the Arizona Cardinals have swirled around in purgatory until acquiring Kyler Murray, the way the Jets have for the last 10 years, the way that the Giants have for the last 10 years, the way that Buffalo did for 20 years before they acquired Josh Allen, and now all of a sudden they're one of the elite teams in the NFL. You have to have some level of a generational talent. It's the reason why, while the Cleveland Browns aren't great, it's the reason why the Cleveland Browns are out of purgatory and out of the hell of being perpetually mediocre. Because there are about eight or nine perpetually mediocre teams. Sometimes I like to call them minor league football. But there are about eight to nine perpetually mediocre teams in the NFL where rebuild after rebuild, they fire a coach, fire a coach, fire a GM, Fire a coach, fire a coach. You look up 15 years, you haven't made it to the playoffs more than once. The Raiders, perpetually mediocre. The Dolphins, perpetually mediocre. The Jaguars, perpetually mediocre for many, many years. Detroit Lions, Washington football team. You can go down the line to uh, Jets, Giants. <laughs> Sorry, Jets, Giants, Broncos. Carolina Panthers are inching towards that territory ever so slightly. They're not quite there yet but they're inching towards that territory and the Houston Texans. And that's about like a third of the NFL, like right off the bat. Those are teams that are just always terrible because they never get generational stars. And you know who was in that mix for the longest time? Cleveland. And you know what Cleveland did in their rebuild? They went through unprecedented levels of losing, unprecedented levels of losing by the Cleveland Browns. And what did they get to show for it at the end? A player, I, I, I will say right now with no pushback, the best player in the history of their franchise. Because remember, Cleveland restarted in 1999. Best player in the history of their franchise in Miles Garrett. I know Joe Thomas is a Hall of Fame left tackle. Left tackles don't impact winning the same way that 
Miles Garrett as a generational edge rusher impacts winning. Because every single team in the NFL needs to have at least one of those game-changing generational stars. In the 2000s and early 2010s, there just weren't as many of those players. You know, there were four great quarterbacks. It was Tom Brady, it was Peyton Manning, it was Ben Roethlisberger, it was Drew Brees, and it was maybe Phillip Rivers. But then you also had LaDainian Tomlinson playing running back, or you had, you know, Champ Bailey as a first ballot Hall of Famer. You had Charles Woodson for a time. But you didn't have that many game-changing generational players. The Baltimore Ravens built a multi-time Super Bowl champion off of Ed Reed and Ray Lewis and interchangeable parts on offense. The Los Angeles Rams just won a championship with Aaron Donald as the integral piece and Jalen Ramsey, who again, the, the cornerback position doesn't necessarily change the game in the same way, but Jalen Ramsey, best cornerback to enter the NFL in the last 10 to 15 years. Like this generation's greatest cornerback and the best defensive lineman in the NFL. And we talk about how we're living in a golden age of quarterbacks also. Like there are about eight to nine really, really game-changing quarterbacks in the NFL when before, say, there used to be four. And now it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Josh Allen, it's Lamar Jackson, it's Aaron Rodgers, it's Kyler Murray, it's Dak Prescott, it's Justin Herbert, it's Joe Burrow, it's Russell Wilson, and it's Deshaun Watson. And because there are so many more talented quarterbacks in the NFL than there used to be before, like game-changing great quarterbacks... They're blossoming in places that they've never had before because ultimately all of this is a drafting crapshoot. Andy Reid spent 25 years, and with all credit to Donovan McNabb, 25 years as a coach and never had the generationally great quarterback until Patrick Mahomes. The Houston, uh, the, sorry, the, the Buffalo Bills, they had no quarterback for 30 years, and then they get Josh Allen, and they go from missing the playoffs for 17 straight years to back-to-back AFC East titles and deep playoff runs. The Arizona Cardinals went 40 years where their best quarterback was Carson Palmer, and that's just not good. By the way, the Bengals and the Cardinals went 40 years with Carson Palmer being their best quarterback. And great As great as Carson Palmer is, Carson Palmer is one of the... Not not exactly a game-changing quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. A very good quarterback, 15-year starter, not a game-changing quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. And Carson Palmer, with the, with the Bengals and the Cardinals, the Bengals and Cardinals both have possibly those generational quarterbacks now. There's now more than there used to be because the talent pool has expanded. And by the way, you know where else it landed? Houston. Houston went from not having any good quarterback play to getting lucky enough that the Browns were willing to trade the pick that would ultimately become Deshaun Watson. And the Houston Texans almost won a Super Bowl with that and a generational defensive talent in J.J. Watt. They were good enough multiple times to win a Super Bowl with just those two players and shit built around them. And also DeAndre Hopkins, who is amazingly good at wide receiver. DeAndre Hopkins was balling out even when Brian Hoyer was his quarterback. Those three guys were good enough to make the Texans hugely relevant and in fact almost make a Super Bowl when they were up 24-0 on the Kansas City Chiefs about to play the Titans in the AFC Championship game. 
So generational talents are hugely important. It's also scientifically pretty much a crapshoot to try and find generational quarterbacks. But you know what the Cleveland Browns figured out? The best chance to turn around your franchise is to acquire a generational quarterback or a generational talent in a year that there is one of those painstakingly clearly available at the top of the NFL draft. Because the best, the the most likely place you are to find a generational talent is at the top of the draft. It's not a guarantee. Sometimes TJ Watt falls to pick 30. Sometimes Lamar Jackson falls to pick 32. Sometimes Russell Wilson slides to the second or third round. But more often than not, there are more people doing prospect scouting in the NFL than there is a need for scouting in the NFL. There is an over-existence of draft analysts and scouts in the NFL media landscape and in the NFL teams as a whole. There's just more scouting and more people do on television and on media doing scouting than there is a need for actual scouting. So more often than not, people find the generational talents at the top of the draft. We knew Chase Young was a bit of a generational talent at the top of his draft. We knew Miles Garrett was going to be the number one pick from when he was a freshman at Texas A&M. Some of these things are painstakingly obvious. And the best place to get those generational guys is at the top of the draft. Now, did the Houston Texans miss out on their chance last season to get one? Entirely possible. The Houston Texans had the number three pick in the draft. If they'd kept the number three pick in the draft, it's entirely possible that they draft Trey Lance with the number three pick in the draft last year. Is Trey Lance a generational talent? No idea. We'll all find out together, won't we? But this year's class is some this year's draft class is someone is one that people have said and smart draft people like my friend Blake Jude or you know Bucky Brooks or whoever else you want to point to as NFL draft scout Mel Kuyper or Daniel Jeremiah or Connor Rogers or whoever else you want to point to of doing the draft scouting says that the top pick in this year's draft class would have probably been the fourth or fifth pick in last year's class which in fairness was Jamar Chase last year. It was just an incredibly stacked draft class. But this year's regarded as an incredibly weak draft class. There's no way to guarantee that great players will be at the top of every draft class. It's just random chance when the generationally great ones happen to enter the draft. But there are three players that everyone says are consensus really good this year. It's Evan Neal, the 6'9", 300-pound offensive lineman from Alabama. Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan and Kevon Thibodeau from Oregon, the last two being edge rushers. And if those are the three consensus top players, which is not a guarantee, I've heard Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame, might be the best safety prospect of the last five years, even though safeties don't necessarily have the same impact on, a, on the game in the rule-changed NFL. But if those are the three people who are going to be the top three picks in the draft, it means Houston is going to be guaranteed one of them. And if all of them are viewed as equally probably good, either A, all of them are going to be generational talents, B, none of them are going to be generational talents, or C, one of them becomes a generational talent with a, with a good environment to grow and flourish into the best version of yourself. Maybe they'll just be very, very good players. Which, by the way... The Houston Texans don't have those either. Part of what helped the Cleveland Browns win a playoff game in 2020 
was that not only they got Miles Garrett, they also had a base level of talent around him. They had good enough around Miles Garrett. They had Nick Chubb, who was a pro bowler. Denzel Ward is an all-pro corner. He's not a generational talent at the cornerback position, but he's one of the five best corners in the NFL. They had stability. And Jarvis Landry also made a Pro Bowl, by the way. So they had, uh, and also the offensive line is very good. They had stability also around there. And the Texans do need that. Like, if any of those players become very, very good players, they will make the Houston Texans respectable. And respectable means going eight and nine every year. They need one of those generational guys. And by the way, the Texans maybe had three, at least two. They had J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson. DeAndre Hopkins probably falls in the very, very good camp. But they had those guys before. And just two of those game-changing players, one helped the L.A. Rams win the Super Bowl, and two almost helped the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl less than two years ago. So the Houston Texans don't have to get a generational talent with this pick this year. But if they ideally want to get a generational talent through the draft, and they ideally hope that this year is going to be the earliest, or I'm sorry, this year is going to be the worst year of the rebuild, that the number three pick in the draft will be the highest draft pick that they hold over the next three years as they rebuild the team essentially from scratch, or the same place that the Lions were in a year ago, if that's where they're rebuilding from, then this is their best shot at getting a generational talent through the draft. All of it is probabilities. So maybe, say they get Aiden Hutchinson with the third pick in the draft. Say Aiden Hutchinson becomes a Pro Bowl player, second team All-Pro. That's very, very good. It's going to create a measure of stability for the Houston Texans. But if the Houston Texans want to go from being piss-poor terrible to relevant again in the NFL... They're going to have to get one of the top 15 or 16 players in the NFL on their team. And ideally, it would come at the quarterback position, but it doesn't have to come at the quarterback position. The Rams won the Super Bowl with two generationally great players in Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. You know, again, Jalen Ramsey's kind of on the precipice, but still, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, cornerstones of their team, and Cooper Cup. Let's not, let's not shade Cooper Cup here. Best wide receiver in the NFL. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup, and stability around that. You put stability around that, it's good enough to win. The Texans didn't put stability around Deshaun Watson or J.J. Watt or DeAndre Hopkins. It was still good enough to win four AFC South titles in six years. Not all of them with Deshaun Watson, but with J.J. Watt, it was good enough to win four division titles in six years even if they didn't put a stable base around them, if they had been more stable, if they had gotten more Pro Bowl players, if they made good trades instead of giving up every single draft pick they had for Laramie Tunsil, they probably could have gotten to the end because they were so close to getting to the championship anyways. So this is Houston's ideally best chance. Maybe next year is a punt season again for Houston and they get the number one pick in the draft. Not ideal, but it gives them a better chance to get the generational talent, especially if there is a generational quarterback in next year's draft. Whether that be Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, I don't know yet. But maybe that's the game plan for Houston, is we're just going to suck again. And this year is a step forward. We're going to be like the Cleveland team that had the number one pick back-to-back seasons. 
maybe that's the rebuilding strategy for the Texans. It would probably be the best strategy long-term for the Houston Texans. Maybe not for the development of whoever the number three pick in the draft is this year, but maybe that's an excuse to trade down in the draft and take more shots at the board to find supplemental talent for whoever that generational star is going to be. The Texans need to find a generational talent somewhere, and the best place to do it is the draft. That's how the Texans are going to jump out of purgatory. And if they don't get a generational talent, well, they'll be okay. They'll get enough talent in the draft that they'll be able to be okay. They'll be better than the teams that are actively tanking, which, again, there's usually about six every year. They'll be better than those teams with available cap space and draft picks like Aiden Hutchinson or you know pro bowlers getting drafted in the second round or late first round. With, with two or three pro bowlers, you too can go 7-10 and 10 in the NFL. Even the Atlanta Falcons did that last year. With even just two pro bowl caliber players, you too can go 7-10 and because the bar is so incredibly low in the NFL. In a game that's so random, you just got to have a base level of talent to be able to compete. And the teams that are rebuilding, they're the teams that are trying to find a base level of talent. It'll take some time. And the Houston Texans ideally want to speed up that timeline by hitting on this pick this year. Maybe it'll take two years. But if you subscribe to the idea that this will be the worst of the years, that the worst of the losing is behind us, and this number three pick is going to be our generational guy, then you need to hit on that pick this year. And you don't have the number one pick, so the decision is out of your hands. You technically have to trust that the Jaguars and the Lions are going to mess it up above you. Or that you're stable enough that if you get any of the, the you know, presumably the edge rushers, because I can't think of any left tackles other than maybe Trent Williams that are, you know, game-altering generational stars. Maybe it, it has to be Thibodeau or Hutchinson. But if Thibodeau or Hutchinson or maybe Kyle Hamilton falls to you at number three, and you get to pick that guy, and they become generationally great, then you too can turn that franchise around and maybe get back to the place you were at before. If he becomes a very, very good player, that's a victory as well. But this is your best probability of getting one of those guys. I'm not guaranteeing that you're going to get one of those guys. This year's just your best probability of netting one of those players. So with that being said, thank you for stopping in to the Believe in Houston Texans podcast. We're going to have episodes continuing to drop every single Tuesday here during the NFL offseason leading up to the NFL draft. We'll talk more about who the Texans will pick specifically coming up later on in the weeks. Free agency starts next week, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Maybe some developments in the Watson case. We'll, we'll do a full podcast on that at some point, a full podcast on Cal McNair, a full podcast on all of the stuff that I guess we find fascinating around this franchise. I'm very excited to go on this journey with all of you and enjoy your day. Have a fantastic day. And I was about to say take it easy like our podcast does, but it's not take it easy. This has been the Believe in Houston Texans podcast.